So recently, Dr. Abena Bubbers-Jones from Medic Footprints interviewed me to find out why we started Medic's Money. And she did a great job because once I'd rolled out my stock semi-scripted answer to why we started Medic's Money, she actually got into the actual reasons why we're doing this and how my own financial struggles have shaped what we do on Medic's Money. We also talk about why some doctors struggle with money and what doctors have in common with footballers and artists. We also cover a lot of other stuff such as paying off debt or investing. What should you do first and how to think about that in a logical way. We talk about good debt versus bad debt and also what we can do about the 30% real terms pay cuts that some doctors have had over the last 10 years. So I hope that you enjoy the episode and I hope it gives you some insight into why me and Ed started Medics Money. As ever, thanks for your support. Thanks to any of you who have shared what we do with your colleagues and thanks for leaving us a rating and review that helps other doctors and dentists to find this podcast. As ever, this podcast is for entertainment only and does not represent any form of financial, legal or accounting advice and tax allowances and rates are subject to change. Welcome everyone today to Top Influencers in Healthcare or Top Healthcare Influencers Series. I am Dr. Abena Bubbers-Jones and I'm an occupational health physician and founder of Medic Footprints. So our mission is to dramatically elevate health outcomes in the world by connecting our global community of talented doctors with the best in diverse career opportunities. And thank you so much for taking your time out in the day to join me in our top healthcare influencers webinar series. And today is episode 20, how to clinically assess your finances. This is this is for me a very interesting topic in itself, being a doctor and, you know, a few years ago, like most doctors, I would definitely have called myself financially illiterate. And, you know, these are one of the things that you're never taught about in medicine. I think there, there is a reason for that, but we will discuss that in our series today. But introducing very warmly Dr. Tommy Perkins, who is a GP and founder of the very popular organization, Medics Money. So welcome, Tommy. Thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you so much for having, having me and thank you for everybody for taking time out of their day to tune in. I'm, I'm really pleased to be here because as you know, I've been following what you guys do for a while. I really love it. So to be here is, is an honor. So thanks for inviting me. Yeah, and the great thing about this, Tommy, is that the tables are turned. So usually Tommy, is is one of the fantastic hosts of their own podcast and I featured on a podcast very recently but now he is being interviewed by me so let's see how he gets and I'm sure we'll be fine <laughs> so why don't you start from the beginning Tommy tell us more about you and a bit about your journey to Medics Money in particular yeah sure so Medics Money is two of us myself and as you said I'm a GP my colleague Ed is also a GP and Ed's got a bit of a special skill uh, in that he's also a chartered accountant and a chartered tax advisor. And he worked at PwC in London for nine years and then for reasons best known to himself, decided to retrain as a doctor. And we started Medics Money for two reasons, really. One, 
to give doctors, our colleagues, the financial education that you, you said, as you said, that we just don't get. OK, so we educate doctors on their finances and we do that using our podcast, which is going really well. We have um, a blog, which is very popular. We write lots of content. We have several guides in terms of how to claim tax rebates on those super expensive postgraduate exams and GMC fees and everything else. So we have a guide written on that, how to fix your tax code and a whole host of other things. So education is the main thing. And then the second thing is that doctors struggle to know where to get the right advice for the right price. And there's lots of uh, advisors out there saying that they're specialized in doctors and that they're the best. What we did is used our unique expertise to vet, verify those advisors and work out whether they were really a specialist in doctors and as good as they say. And we put them all on Medics Money. And if you need their help, our unique search algorithm can match you to the best advisor for you. And so that's what Medics Money does. So. I, yeah. I, wanted to, I just want to take a step back. Thank you so much for the summary. I want to take a step back and dive a little bit deeper into that. So. Yeah. As you know, because you've been, been it, been through it, starting anything, let alone a business, is really challenging. So I'd love to hear, and obviously I know from Ed's background, having been a chartered accountant at PwC, but why, why was it important for you to, to really start and grow Medics Money? Yeah, so I think like the Medics Money story really starts 14 years ago when I left medical school I'm showing my age there and don't worry I'm going to abbreviate this story but essentially I was the first I was the first in my family to you know to go to medical school I came from just a normal working class family and I left med school with 85 grand worth of debt and these days unfortunately that's not out of the ordinary but back then no one had 85 grand and I kind of at the end of my sort of med school I was looking around and this is going to sound wonderfully naive, but I had no idea what I would be earning. And then eventually I found out and then I looked at my debt and I was just in a blind panic, you know, because I didn't just have student loan. I had like bank loans. I had I had a credit card of like 10 grand on. I owed my mum five grand. And that was in a way the worst debt because five grand to her is, is a lot of money. So I was in a panic, basically. And, you know, we didn't get taught anything about finances. And from working class family, I didn't really know anyone who was good at finances. You know, none of not my mum didn't need an accountant or have an accountant. And so I was in a panic. And so basically, over the next 14 years, I just educated myself about how to manage my finances because I was forced to. And I paid down that debt. I've started, you know, investing. And it was a long, hard road. And I got kind of pretty good at it. And so I started claiming back my expenses for postgraduate exams so you can get up to 40 percent of the cost back and the gp exams like over two grand now and so when i started doing that everyone was like right you've got to help me do that so i just started helping like mates and then mates of their mates and and all of a sudden i was helping like a lot of people with their finances and, and it was just like getting too much for me to manage and i, I love being a doctor I, yeah i was just helping out Amazing. mates basically and then yeah, it was just yeah so <laughs> it was mayhem actually but I always wanted to carry on being a doctor. So mm -hmm. I tried to sort of shut it down and it just wouldn't die. And then I bumped into Ed in A&E, actually. He, he was working in A&E. I was doing a locum. I, was, I, was, I think I was renovating a house at the time. So I was, I was like, oh, don't want to go there. But anyway, I bumped into Ed and I found out he was an accountant. And then he just told me this exact same story, basically, mm -hmm. how he like helped a ward porter who had two jobs, one in McDonald's and one at the hospital. 
And they were just like, why am I getting taxed so heavily? And it's because they had uh, the incorrect tax code. So he sorted out their tax code for them. And basically, by the time he left med school, I think he was doing self-assessment for like some of the biggest players at his med school because he was doing high net worth individual self-assessment at PwC. So, so he'd been doing that. And then we were like, oh, somebody should really start something, just help doctors out, like to educate us. And because like we need to help our colleagues out and we can only help like a limited number. And we were like, yeah, someone should really do it. Like, and we were like, should we do it? And we're like, no. And we sat on that idea for ages. And eventually we started it about two and a half years ago now. And it started really slowly and literally was just our mates and mates and mates. But now, thanks to our amazing audience who just tell their friends about it and obviously hopefully find what we do useful, we've grown to a good size now where I feel like we're really making an impact into our colleagues. And yeah, it's really cool. I, I love doing it. Uh, like I said, we never wanted to not be a doctor. We both still work as doctors, but it's really rewarding to do it. And, and we've just been blown away by the support that we've got from the profession without them telling their friends about us. It just wouldn't happen. It would literally just be me and Ed and our mates still, which was fine, but we want to help everyone, you know? I think I think that's, that's a wonderful story in the sense that you've turned a personal issue that you had into a business that is is helping your colleagues and scalable on like you know a tremendous scale like we're talking about over three thousand three hundred thousand doctors in the UK and that's just the beginning and I think what you're doing is essential it's essential to all of these doctors especially the medical students who are the ones that are going to be lumbered with student financial debt for a long time. So I guess my next question is, so this is my next question, why are doctors in many cases, not all, but let's just broad sweep that, why, why do doctors struggle with their finances? Why? why? <laughs> yeah, uh, I think maybe like for some of the same reasons that I struggle with my finances. So I think the main thing is that we get no education at all about our finances. And so some kind of salespeople came to my med school to try and sell me some financial products, which I may or may not have needed. But let's not get into that. But, but we don't get any financial education. You know, no one sat us down and go, right, your GMC fee is like 450 quid a year, but you can reduce that by up to 40%. And guess what? Royal College exams, devastating but you can reduce the cost by 40% and you can do it yourself using this free software from HMRC and this free guide from Medics Money. So doctors don't get any education. And even worse than that, we have people that come and try and sort of sell us and try and exploit, in some cases, our financial naivety. So I think that's one thing. I think the other thing is that perhaps because doctors are, you know, uh, renowned for being above average intelligence people assume that that correlates into being good with your finances and I've thought about this a lot because I think doctors get paid well you know good well-paid job for our abilities as a doctor so that is you know in treating our patients and that is absolutely nothing to do with money and in that sense we have a lot in common with like footballers who get paid for playing football so you can make a lot of money as a doctor or a footballer or uh, let's say an artist without being good with your money because you get paid for what you're good at. But if you're like an entrepreneur or even like some of my mates from school, they're like builders. Uh, they run their own you know, building businesses. They have to get good at their money in order 
to make money. And so I think that might be, I don't know, like I'd take your views or the audience's views, why, why they think we struggle. But I think there is that kind of thing where we get paid to do what we're good at, which is clinical skills, but we can, we don't, we're not good with money and we're not, we're not taught about it. And I, I agree with everything you say. I think there, there's an assumption that we would, we know, or even have the time. I mean, we clearly don't have the time when you spend most of your time in medical school and as a doctor, if you had, you know, working long hours, trying to sort out patients and trying to get some sleep or eat some food in between the cracks, like how much time do you genuinely have that you can dedicate towards your finances and also emphasis on the important, like why that's important. I think for me, I just assumed like you, you know, coming from essentially a working class background, first doctor and family, I assumed that being a doctor would mean that I would be financially secure, which it doesn't, it doesn't mean that, right? Like you have to learn how to actually manage that money to become financially secure, regardless of what you do. And if you don't have that pressure, then you haven't really got that incentive to, to learn. And I think another thing is that we are, Again, another assumption that's made is if you reach it to consultant level, et cetera, et cetera, you'll be fine and sorted, financially free, whatever. That isn't necessarily the case. Yeah. So, so again, this is my own naivety, which I'm, I'm sharing publicly. So be gentle. But I, I had no idea what the starting salary was. But what I did know is that I went to a nice you know, state uh, primary school, which was nice. And then I went to the secondary school and it was rough, man. Like this was a bad school in a bad area. And one of my friends, what hit her doctor was a dad and as soon as she went from our primary school to the secondary school and realized how rough it was she just got parachuted out of there and went to private school so i was like well obviously doctors are pretty rich because like someone went to private school it's like whoa like i didn't know anyone who went to private school they were rich and so yeah i just didn't i didn't know what the salary was which sounds kind of shocking and then yeah when i found out and i saw the size of my debt i was like yeah there's a bit of a mismatch here. And I think the other thing, the elephant in the room here is something that we go on maybe a bit too much. Is, but doctors have had, in real terms, some doctors, according to the BMA, a 30% pay cut over the last 10 years, in real terms. And you're sat there now thinking, hold on, we got like a 3% pay rise this year, 1% pay rise last year, 1% before. The key thing is in real terms. So if you get a, a below inflation pay rise, yeah, that is another way of saying a pay cut. So you might have had a 3% pay rise this year, but guess what? Inflation is 5.4%. Is so things that you buy are 2.4 uh, more expensive, percent more expensive for you. So the government are being really clever about giving out below inflation pay rises. And I do that over 10 years and you get a 30% real terms cut. And that's based on uh, BMA figures, which are freely available. So, you know, 30%, that's a lot. Like, that is a lot. And most doctors won't know about this because. Yeah, I guess, you know, it's just happening to you very, very slowly, like uh, one or two percent here, one or two percent there. And, you know, your living standard is slowly but surely slipping. And, you know, if, if your if your parents were doctors, maybe they could afford to send you to private school. Maybe now you can't. And no one's going to get the violins out for that. They're just really not like, unfortunately, but. It is the reality. So if you are in that reality, you've got to manage your own finances to maximum efficiency so that you can get the most from the, the income that you're getting. And, and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that doctors are not well, but you know, we have had a 30% real time pay cut over the last 10 years. And I don't know about you, but my job hasn't got 30% easier in that time frame. And I don't think many of doctors listening to this will have got 30% easier. So you know, you've got to, you've got to. Francis hasn't become 30% less in that time, has it? 
<laughs> they've said more right yeah. <laughs> like most people okay i mean like we get it and like i guess the next question it moves on to the next question which is very difficult to summarize but let's say what are the most common areas that doctors need to actually focus on to really learn how to manage money manage their money more effectively yeah what follows is going to be a bit of a brain dump. So if this just blows your mind, okay, don't panic. We've got don't an ebook about recorded. it. You can watch yeah, it's recorded. Uh, and all of this is summarized in our ebook, which you can just download at medicsmoney.co.uk forward slash ebook, free ebook. And it just gives you the basics. Okay, so let's start I've, with I've the basics. I've read that ebook. It's a good ebook. It's a really oh, good cheers. ebook. I would 100% recommend it. That's really kind. You've, uh, you've yeah. distracted me now with your comments. So, <laughs> all right. So, we're going to start with tax, right? And some people say, oh, why do you always start with tax? Tax is inevitable. Well, yes, it is. But it's really, really important to make sure you pay the right amount of tax. So I already gave you one example where a lot of doctors pay too much tax. And that is that you can reclaim up to 40% of the cost of your, your postgraduate exams and your GMC fee and your MDU fee and a whole host of other things. And over your career, that's going to add up to a terrific amount, okay? But guess what, right? HMRC, the tax, the tax people are not going to phone you up and go, oh, hi, Dr. Bubba Jones. I've noticed that you've done a super expensive exam and I'm just going to give you a tax rebate because we're super kind, yeah? If you do nothing about your tax, most likely you will overpay, okay? So just have a think about your tax position and just do the basics, okay? Another big problem for lots of juniors as we rotate through jobs is tax codes and that is a nightmare. Again, we got a guide just walks you through how to sort it out yourself. You do not need an accountant to do any of this, okay? Accountants are great. We love accountants, but you've got to use them for what you need them for. So you can sort out yourself with the free guide that Ed wrote, okay? And then at the more complex level, you know, if you're a private consultant and you've got a private practice, you know, maybe you should consider opening a limited company. Maybe that would help with your tax position and optimize things. So if you do nothing about tax you're most likely going to overpay. So whatever stage you're, of your career you're at, there's always something that you can, you can do. And, and we're not talking... One of your, your podcasts, Tommy, charitable contributions to the HMRC. Yeah, don't make charitable donations to the HMRC, right? They're only going to waste it on like another party in Downing Street or... Oh, sorry, it's a bit, a bit controversial. Allegedly, allegedly a party, okay? You know, just, yeah, don't make charitable donations to HMRC. Like, and they're not going to phone you up and do this for you. You've got to do it yourself. If you do nothing, you're going to overpay. So that's one thing. And then, you know, I think another thing, which uh, is a massive topic in itself, is the pension. So the pension, NHS pension, is unlike most other pensions. And it's still a really good deal for the vast majority of us. And this is not financial advice, do your own research, etc. But there's a few little checks that you need to do every year. So you need to get a total reward statement every year. You can get it online. It's free. I think it's like totalrewardstatements.co.uk or something like that. We'll put the link up later, maybe. It's in the ebook. And just, just get that statement. Keep it safe, okay? And that goes for your uh, pay slips as well. Like, you've got to keep your pay slips because one day you'll need those records. So in these shelves behind me, I still have my F1 and F2 pay slips. And unbelievably... They are still relevant now because if you find an error in your pension records, which does happen, the only way, the only record that you have of that contributions may be that F1 and F2 payslip. So the third thing, hopefully everyone's keeping up. And like I said, if you're not, just download the ebook, do it in your own time. The third thing is to think about, you know, protecting your future. Okay. So if you will get ill and can't work, or even worse, if you die, 
you know, who is going to pay your bills and look after your family? Okay, so unless you could afford to pay your bills without your income, then you probably should think about some form of protection. And I alluded to people selling us this at medical school, you know, does an F1 doctor with no dependents, uh, no family, no mortgage need like a two million pounds of life cover? Probably not, but someone will try and sell it to you because guess what? They're a commissioned salesperson. So you need to avoid the commissioned salesperson and get independent financial advice from someone who specializes in doctors and can talk you through it. And also do your own research, like how much sick pay do you, how much are your outgoings? You know, how long could you survive? So have a think about that. Uh, and obviously Medics Money is the best place to find that. And then something that you can just do yourself as well is just to get an emergency fund, okay? So an emergency fund, it's just a side pot of money that you keep for emergencies. And the reasoning for this is that, you know, if you have a big bill, like your car breaks down or something or whatever, you do not want to get the credit card out and put it on the credit card because credit card debt is bad debt. Bad debt is destroying your net worth and you don't want bad debt. Okay. So the emergency fund just insulates you from that. And at a higher level, if you've got, you know, an investment portfolio, uh, which you, you know, should consider, if you have an emergency and you need cash, you do not want to be making an unplanned drawdown from that investment portfolio. So the emergency fund is just a, a pot of money, maybe three to six months of your expenses saved up in a side pot. Don't touch it. Okay. Next thing uh, is, you know, think about investing. Okay. So if you're thinking, oh my goodness, investing is for rich people. Investing is hard. Investing is expensive. Yeah, that's definitely what I thought when I started investing. But actually, uh, I started investing in 2009, okay? So literally one year after I became a doctor because after doing some research, I suddenly realized that as a doctor, it's great. Uh, I love the job and we are well-paid, but we are trading our time for money, okay? So if I don't go to work as a doctor, I don't get paid, okay? And you need to try to build up some assets which pay you money 24 hours a day, okay, while you sleep. And so that's why I started investing really early. And when I started, I was investing like £50 a month because that was all I could afford. But over time, and the key thing here is time, your returns will be subject to compound interest. And compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world, according to Einstein. And, you know, I'm you know, really benefited from this, but you do need time. So, you know, that's, that is like a really ridiculously whistle-stop tour. There's a lot more to it than that. But I think, that is very simplest, okay? Improving your wealth is really, really simple. Spend less than you earn, invest a difference, and protect your assets and your family. That's it. That's all you got to do. You've heard it from Tommy. <laughs> not financial <laughs> advice, by the way. We were to say it's yeah, not financial yeah, advice. Yeah, 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 yeah. Go, go. We're talking about it in yeah. general terms, okay? Yeah, so do your own research. Terms, go and get your yeah. own uh, IFA. But get the ebook. Get the ebook. It's, yeah, it's, just get it's the ebook. Yeah, yeah. Doing a guide. Um, we've got a few minutes left. If anyone's, anyone's got any questions specifically for Tommy, this is the time to ask it now in the Q&A box. My question is, so when we look at investments, is, is having a mortgage an investment? Is paying off your mortgage an investment? Or is that like a, another long kind of discussion in itself? It's big. Yeah. So, I mean, like, if you think about what mortgage is, it's a debt. Okay. And I talked about bad debt already. So I think we should talk about good debt versus bad debt. So bad debt, is high interest rate debt, like a credit card, that is historically used to purchase things which depreciate in value. Like for me, it would be surfboards and bikes. I don't know about what it would be for you. 
I thought I, I use naught percent credit cards just to oh, yeah. oh, and, yeah. so like, I don't, pay it off yeah, yeah. by the end of the term. Exactly. So I don't have a credit card, but well, I, I just pay off every month. So it's by uh, like house furniture. Basically. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, so, so, so that is bad debt. Okay. High interest rate. And you've got to get rid of that. Okay. And then at the other end of the scale is what you'd call good debt. So that is low interest rate debt that is used to purchase an asset which has historically appreciated in value. So if you're basically asking me, should I invest or should I pay down the mortgage? Now, that is probably one of the most complicated questions in personal finance. But the way that I try to frame it is, is it good debt or is it bad debt? And if, you, if you're thinking, right, I've got a £1,000 debt on my credit card and I'm going to invest. No, you really should pay down that bad debt. And, and think about it in terms of this, right? No, there's no such thing as a guaranteed return of investment about 18 19% that your credit card is, except paying down a debt with an interest rate of 18 or 19%. So if you pay down a credit card with an interest rate of 18 or 19%, you are guaranteeing that return, you know? So yeah, I think I would always pay down bad debt as a like an urgent thing. And good debt is complicated. And somewhere in the middle ground, uh, there's a sweet spot. But yeah, if you've got high interest rate credit card, just, just try and focus on how getting about, that paid off. How about off. mortgage? That's actually one of the questions I'm asking myself. Do I focus on investment or being mortgage-free? Yeah, so I think what you've got to think about is, you know, if you get a sensible, well-balanced, diversified investment portfolio, historically, historically, you're going to get returns of 6 to 8% range, okay? And nothing's guaranteed, but historically, that is a very reasonable return. And then if your mortgage is like 1.5%, you know, seems kind of kind of obvious what to do and and that was the kind of dilemma that i faced in 2009 to 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 pay off all of my debts or or not and so what i did is i paid off actually the first debt i paid off uh, was the debt to my mum right because the interest rate was zero percent but it was it was a terrible debt because it was such a lot of money to her right then mm-hmm. i paid down my credit card right once that's done i looked at my student loan interest rate which at the time because i was on a plan one student loan interest rate was amazing so it was amazing debt so i was like actually i'm not gonna i didn't pay my student loan down uh, early at all I paid it off as slow as possible because it was good debt so once I paid off credit card and paid off my mum started investing boom so sounds like kind of where you are now yeah yes we are so we've got one question uh, cool. from Gemma what's a better debt for the rest of med school student loan or extended mortgage Whew, that's a good one so I think uh, student loan is you know, you've got to make sure you're comparing like for like. So I'm going to assume that you're on a plan two student loan, which is unfortunately not as good as a plan one student loan, which I had. And so the student loan is a kind of unique debt because if you get ill and can't work and your income drops below a certain threshold, the student loan repayments stop. Okay. Whereas your mortgage would still keep going. If it goes over a certain term, I believe it's 30 years then the debt is erased, okay? So of the student loan, that would not happen, unfortunately, on a mortgage. It would be amazing if it did, eh? So, you know, I think that student loans are still a a good deal, but not as good as when I was there, sorry. And you just got to do your own research, but I don't think many people would advise you to take out a mortgage to fund med school. And if you are in that position, like sympathies, I've been there, and I had to take out a bank loan, which was really, really, it was really bad. But because interest rates were so low for so long, it turned out like to be okay, the bank debt. So 
so yeah if that's in the position you're in like yeah it's, it's hard so finally for anyone that's listening to this live or recorded they're in a situation where they're like oh my god there is so much that i need to sort out where do i get started how do i get started what would you suggest yeah so don't don't panic but definitely do do something so i think our ebook uh, is called what medical school didn't teach us about money and it's a sort of introduction to the very basics just to get you started because you need a plan so that's good you got no time to read fine then listen to our podcast when you're at the gym or whatever you're doing uh, so the podcast and the ebook are really good jump if you download the ebook you get on our email mailing list we always keep you updated with the latest news of what's going on and things that are happening so i think that's a really good place to start and then the other thing is i really like books and i've kind of realized that there isn't one personal finance book which is amazing but again in the ebook we make some recommendations for books which can help you so in summary go to medics money and download the ebook yeah i think it's a, it's a yeah, good place to start you know and yeah, tune into our podcast start. yeah and the one thing that's made the podcast so successful is people send us in their questions right and that's just what we used to do back in the day when it was just us and our friends people would be like waiting for the water to start what would you do about this and we'd be like oh we do it like this so it's basically just a, a bigger version of that so yeah just send us in a question and we we love answering your questions because it's what how medics money started and and it, and it really helps to guide your content as well, doesn't it? Hundred percent. Like user-generated content, it's amazing. And uh, it just so, you know, if you've got a question, I guarantee you, like twenty other people have got that same question. So don't be afraid to ask it. Brilliant. Well, thank you again, Tommy Perkins. We really appreciate your time, and we really appreciate Medics Money. Uh, someone who's just. Uh, Left said, really interesting, excellent session. Thank you so much for creating Medics Money. It is just what I and I'm sure so many others need. And I would definitely from a personal level, level echo that. So thank you so much to you and Ed and for everything that you're doing and the people and the partners that you're working with. Yeah, that's really kind. And as I said, I've been admiring Medic Footprints for a long, long time. And uh, can you stop sending me emails with such tempting job offers <laughs> in peace? Because... <laughs> You never know, you might need that at some point when you least expect it. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> anyway, cheers. Awesome. Take care, everyone. Thanks. Bye. Bye.